Our topic out of the book of Malachi, chapter 3, returning to God. We'll pick up in verse 6, overlapping a little bit with last week. That was a separate sermon, totally different topic. Uh, but this verse applied to both sides. And so uh, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And last week on the, on the prophecy of the messenger coming and and uh, then the messenger, um, a messenger coming, announcing the messenger to come. And then the Lord saying he does not change. And we spent some time on that, that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, there's not a, an old and a new. It's just one Bible. He doesn't have to change. It, the Father didn't make any mistakes. That the Son had to come along and correct and change and modify. It's all the same. One everlasting gospel. One path. Always uh, one salvation. One gospel. Forever. And so he doesn't change. Nothing needs to change. Uh, it's, it's all together. And then the second part, we didn't really too, talk too much on. Therefore, you are not consumed, says, O sons of Jacob. So it's his mercy that we're not consumed, but we're still here today. It's because he's giving us more time. He doesn't want any to be lost. He doesn't want any to lose out. He wants all to come to repentance. And so he doesn't consume us right away. Uh, he didn't consume Adam and Eve right there in the garden. He told them, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. He could have let them die right then and there, but he didn't. He gave them more time. Thankfully, they repented. Even though they were kicked out of the garden, they repented. Uh, we see that because God clothed them with animal skins. No doubt those animal skins were from sacrifices, and they represented the Messiah to come. Their death, their blood, and then God clothed them with his righteousness, with his skins, with the skins of the very animals representing the lambs that would represent him to come. And so he allowed them to continue to live. They lived 800 and 900 years and then died on this earth. But we believe by faith that they have eternity, that they did repent and accept his forgiveness and lived righteous lives by his grace. And thus he has not consumed them. And same with us today. We're still here today because of God's great love for us. And then verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So he was merciful, he hasn't consumed us, and we've seen this kind of theme all throughout Malachi, over and over again, from chapter 1, verse 1, where I loved you, and yet you have not loved me, and we say, how have we not loved you? And it goes back and forth with this conversation between God and the people, and God makes a statement of his love, and then we say, oh, how, why, where? And we see that come up here again. So he says, uh, I loved you, I haven't consumed you, and yet you have not appreciated, you have not responded, you have not reciprocated, and you have not obeyed my ordinances, nor kept them. And then he says, return to me, and I will return to you. Right? So who's the initiator? Who's the one who starts that ball rolling? Return to me, I will return to you. The people? God? Which is it? Who starts it? Sounds like return to me, that's God speaking, for us to return to him, and then I, God, will return to you. So it sounds like he's asking us to take the first step, but that's only if we ignore the first part of the passage and we ignore verse 6, where God first came to us, God first had compassion on us, God first um, did not consume us. And God's the one speaking, and he's the one inviting, return to me. Again, like Adam and Eve, where they sinned, and then God came walking for humanity. He came after us. Adam and Eve, they were hiding in a bush. We were running away from him. And he comes to us. God first loved us. While we were yet sinners, the Messiah died for us. He comes to us. He takes the first step. And then he invites. He calls out, Adam, Eve, where are you? He's calling for us. He invites us. Come on to me, all ye that are heaven laden. Return to me. So he's the one giving the invitation. So he starts the ball rolling. And then he asks us to respond by returning to him. So then why does he say, I return to you, if he's already with us? Because he's already poured out his love. He's poured out all of his love towards us. So much so, it, it can't be more. He's already given us his son. What more can he give? He's already given his most precious possession. Yeshua gave his life. He gave everything. He's willing to die for eternity for us. Dying the second death for us. Dying for our penalty. Becoming the curse for us. He's already given us such great love. And so, 
But then as we open our hearts to receive it, he's able to pour more of that love in. And when we're resisting, so we just stop resisting. He'll be able to pour out his love. And then it becomes cyclical. He's reached out to us. He's called us. As we surrender and confess our sins, he's then able to forgive us. And then as we receive his Holy Spirit, he's able to give us more of his Holy Spirit. As we respond to that Holy Spirit, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in obedience, he's able to pour out more of his Holy Spirit into us. And so it's a continual drawing closer to him. As we take a step closer, he's able to draw us more and pour out his Spirit upon us. And even that ability to return, and that word return here is uh, shuva, like in teshuva, repentance, to turn back to God, to come back to him, to turn from sins and to turn to God. A, a Rosh Hashanah theme of returning to God, coming to God, coming away from sin, coming out of the world and coming unto God. But we don't have the power to do that in ourselves, but he is able to give us the power. He gives us the gift of repentance. He gives us the ability to repent. He gives us the ability to turn from our sins. He gives us a hatred for sin. He gives us a longing for something better. He gives us a longing for himself. So it's all God. So he draws us with his love. He compels us to move forward. And then he, as we believe, as we willing, as we surrender, as we say, yes, Lord, give me, let's forgive me. Yes, forgive me. Yes, help me. He's then able to give more. So it sounds he's able to return more towards us. And again, as he continues to draw us and we continue to yield and surrender to him, he pours out more and we're able to receive more. He's already poured it out, but we're able to receive more. The door opens more. We open our heart more each time and more comes in. Thus, we're able to receive more of his love. So it seems like he's returning more, but he's always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He hasn't given up on us. But opening our heart, we receive more and more. And that's for all eternity. Here and for eternity, we'll be learning more about God. For eternity, we'll be growing more in his grace. For eternity, we'll be growing closer to him. For eternity, we'll be seeing his face more and more. Now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. It'll be ever increasing, ever this cycle. Again, the more we come, the more we surrender, the more we yield, the more we stop resisting, the more we receive of his love. So it's him, he starts it, and he continues it all throughout. He causes us to, he invites us, he causes us to return, and then he continues to pour out his spirit. It's all him. And so then we respond. So he says this, return, and then as typical fashion we've seen throughout Malachi, we respond, how have we, how have we, how can we return? As if that's such a hard thing. I bet that's what we say, verse 7. You say, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So here in this section, where he's pouring out his love for us and he invites us to return, the area that he focuses on of returning that we've been resisting is in the area of tithe and offerings. And so he invites us to come to him, to return to him in this area of surrender, of surrendering the financial areas of our lives to him. And so he invites us to return, to come to him because of his great love that he pours out for us. And then again, we're going back and forth and debating with him. He says, return, and we say, oh, how? You know, after all these verses so far, first three chapters already, how, how can we do that? And how have we robbed you? He says, you've been robbing me by not returning tithes and offerings. Now, there's two words there. They are two separate things. And we're going to see the distinction here in a few more verses. There's tithes and there are offerings. Again, two totally different things. They're totally different in our lives. They are used for totally different purposes in the Bible. Two totally separate things. And it's important for us to distinguish them because the Bible distinguishes them that way. Tithes and offerings. And then verse 9, it says, you are cursed with a curse. For we have robbed him. And so we're under this curse. And it goes back again to Adam and Eve. Basically, they robbed from God. They took what he said was not theirs. He said, this tree, you can have all these other trees. And we don't have, I know how many billions of fruit trees he put in that garden. And he said, this one is mine. This one is not for you. This one, leave alone. And he decided, no, I'm going to take from that as well and robbed from 
God and thus all of humanity has been under a curse ever since. We've inherited this, this trait of disobedience. You listen to the devil instead of listening to God, sold us out to the devil, traded us out. Thus we are born with a carnal nature, born with resistance to God. And that's why again he had to come and provide himself as the sacrifice to redeem us, to buy us back. And so we're under this curse, and not only individually, but as a whole nation, as a whole people. There's a widespread problem. There's a widespread problem there, and it's still a widespread problem today among professed believers. I believe that if every single professed believer had been returning a faithful tithe and a faithful offering, even for the last year, last five years, the gospel would have gone to the world by now. Even if some of it was stolen by like Judas's and misused, uh, there'd still be enough left over that faithful people would have taken the gospel to the world and we'd be in heaven already. We're still here because of us. We're still here because of our resistance to God's drawing. Bring all the tithes, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not be, have room enough to receive it. That's some promise. That is a powerful promise. That is a wonderful promise. I mean, if uh, some company came out or some... Uh, uh, a mutual fund, and they guaranteed, if you invest here, you will receive such dividends, you will receive such benefits, that you will not have enough room in your house to receive it all. <laughs> and God is a whole lot more faithful on his promises than any financial advisor in any uh, company, in any mutual fund. And that's what he's guaranteeing. That's what he's promising. And God has been faithful in his promises, as we saw last week. He promised that the that a, a messenger would come and announce the, the messenger, the Messiah would come, and he was right, and he came right on time, and both of them came right in order, just as the scriptures mentioned. And so he started this chapter with that. Thus we have assurance of here his promise. He was right on the prophecy, then he's right on the promises as well. And we have prophecy after prophecy that God has brought to fulfillment and thus he's right on his promises as well. And if we just believe that, why wouldn't we take him up on that? What a wonderful offer. The windows of heaven. I don't know how many windows are in heaven. I don't know how many room house that God has. <laughs> he must have a lot of windows. And he opens the windows and just pours out blessings. Instead of receiving the curse that we've been under a curse. Right? We've been under a curse. How's this working? Right? So many people living paycheck to paycheck. It's not working. Our way is not working. You'll pour out a blessing. Instead of being under the curse, so much so, we will not have enough to receive it. Blessings on blessings. Now, as one person said, well, if I did that, probably receive spiritual blessings instead of financial blessings. Well, it might be. But nonetheless, whatever the case, this is not a, a, a road to riches, a, 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 a promise that this is how you'll be rich. I had one person tell me that uh, uh, to determine how much I want to live on next year, figure out what that would be, whatever that'd be, let's say if I want 200,000, whatever, to be able to buy everything I can think of right now, and uh, then this year, give 10% of that, and then next year, God will have to give you that much. That's not how it works. But he will pour out blessings so much so that we will not have room to receive it. And that is a guarantee that he will and does and has over and over again fulfilled. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that you will not have, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. So he'll pour out a blessing upon us, so much so that we can't receive it, and he will also defend us from the devil. He will rebuke the devourer for us. 
And here in the agricultural setting, it gives it, but whatever setting it is, he will protect us. So the blessings poured out might not always be financial, might not, you know, get a guaranteed riches. Well, God did that for some, Abraham and others. But there's other blessings that are more important. You can defeat the, and maybe we won't see the natural results here, but it might be health. And you know, so you see that, well, how come I have health, you know, when others are not? God's rebuking the devourer for you, protecting you. Or other ways, we don't necessarily see that you didn't get in a car accident, but God might have rebuked the devourer that the devil was trying to destroy you or to bring harm to you or to burn down your home or some other calamity that God spared you of. And likewise, we wandered through the wilderness and our shoes didn't wear out, our sandals didn't wear out. God is able to increase and continue the blessings and pour out upon us. He's already given us blessings of the promise of salvation, of eternity with him. Doesn't get any better than that. The forgiveness of sins, the release of the burden of guilt and woe and sadness and struggles and addictions and wrong habits. He sets us free. He pours out his power upon us. And again, in a returning, returning, returning way, more and more so as we open ourselves to him and come to him and return towards him. And I loved how it said, it, I guess the verse before, uh, it says, try me now in this, up in verse 10. Try it. Why don't you try it out? <laughs> you know, if you're trying to make it work on 100% of what you have and not working so great, what do you got to lose? Try him out. Try him out for six months. What kind of guy is like that? Well, give it a try. <laughs> and watch what I'll do for you. Right? He's such a loving God. So merciful, so kind, drawing us yes. with encouragements. Try me in this. Give it a try. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, all the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So the tithe, again, difference between tithe and offerings, the tithe is the Lord's. It's his. He owns it. That's why he said, you're robbing me. Because it is his. He lets it pass through our hands, but it is his. Right? If you're working for an employer and uh, they run out of uh, some envelopes or something like that, and they give you some money and tell you to go down to the store and buy some more envelopes, and you go down and instead of buying envelopes, you bought some candy. What are you? A thief. You're a thief. Exactly. You stole their money. You mismanaged their money. You misused their money. That's right. You took it and you used it for yourself when they told you to go and buy the thing. So it's God's money, even though he allows it to go through our hands. Right? It's still his. He just lets us pass through us. If, uh, if your employer does not withhold enough taxes, at the end of the year, you go to your tax account or you do your own, and you see that... Uh, not enough money has been withheld in taxes, then you owe the government money. It went into your bank account, it was there for a while, and now they're saying, you owe us this money and you need to give it to them, right? Even though it was there in your hands, it really was never yours, because <laughs> the government claims it because they've been protecting you. So we've got the military, we've got police, we've got fire departments, we've got paved roads, we've got street lights, right? So they claim a certain amount of our income, and if you don't pay them, they will come after you. You will be cursed with a curse, right? <laughs> you will receive a knock on the door or whatever, a phone call uh, or a letter in the mail, and, uh, and they, will, they will seek you out. All right, so same, God allows the money to pass through our hands. It comes to us, but it's not ours. He says, it is mine. All the tithe is the Lord's. And not only is it his, it is holy to the Lord. I know we don't pass a plate here, but if you can imagine maybe a place that passes a plate to collect tithes and offerings, and you saw someone reach in and grab a wad of money and shove it in his pocket, what would you think of that person? I think, well, maybe he needs it, right? <laughs> but he's a thief, right? He'd be a thief, right, to do so. It is holy to the Lord. It is his, and it's holy. It's sanctified. 
There's not a lot of things in the Bible that God calls holy. Sabbath he calls holy, he is holy, and he calls his tithe holy. His holy temple, a few things. Our bodies are holy for the Holy Spirit to be filled with. The tithe is that way. It is holy. It is set apart for a specific use to go to a specific place, as we read, into the storehouse. Not just anywhere, but into a storehouse that there may be food in his house. So a specific place, a specific amount, tithe, in a specific place, storehouse, for a specific purpose. So not just to be used however you want, not to be used wherever you think, not just whatever amount, specific amount, in a specific place, for a specific use. And in the context of Malachi's day, it was the temple and the Levites sharing God's truth, the gospel, with the sacrificial lambs. In our context today, congregation, where the message is being preached for the upkeep of the Levite, the minister, ministering the word of God. That's the tithe. That's the storehouse. That's how it's to be used, specifically for that not for anything else, according to the scriptures, the way it was laid out. Because all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, Abraham gave a tithe of all, and God, the, holy, the tithe is holy to the Lord, probably predates him as well, but here we are just in chapter 14 of the Bible, and he's giving a tithe. We have a demonstration of that early on, of him giving a tithe to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the righteous king, king of peace, no doubt a prefigure of the Messiah. Then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, after Jacob deceived his father and tricked his brother, he had to leave his home in disgrace with sin, and God came after him and gave him a dream. And in the dream he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached the heaven. So God came to him first, gave him this beautiful dream. They still connected that there's still a path to heaven for him. And there were angels of God, and they were ascending and descending on it. So God poured out his love towards Jacob while he was yet in sin. Now does Jacob respond? Of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So 10%, that's what tithe is. Some versions translate tithe, some it's tenth, but it's, that's what it is. Tithe is just an old word that means 10, 10%, a tenth of all. And God comes first. God comes first, it's the first, it's the first part, it's the holy part to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. Part of the Ten Commandments in a sense, because the commandments say you shall not steal. Right? And Adam, like Eve, she stole from the tree. Will a man rob God? If we're taking from God's tithe, he says, you are robbing me. Will God be able to allow anyone into heaven who is a thief, who is a robber? What does the Bible say? All throughout Paul's writings, the Ten Commandments, there will not be any thieves in heaven. If we steal from him here, We'd be ripping up the streets of gold. <laughs> We'd be taking the gates of pearls down, trying to hide them in our, in our mansions. He can't. He can't allow a thief into heaven. And so if we are robbing him in tithes and offerings, if we are not returning, okay, he said, return to me. Right? It's not a paying. We're not paying God. We're returning what is his. Returning, and if we, will, if we resist returning to him what is his, if we're stealing from him, we're breaking the Eighth Commandment. And if we're breaking one of the commandments, we've broken them all. We've coveted, in a sense we're stealing because then the gospel's not going forward and people will be lost and people will die for eternity because we have not given faithfully so that God's work can continue. And every day we're alive, every day we're still here, more people are being born without the Lord and will not know the Lord. We are responsible for that. So we've stolen, 
had other gods before us, mammon becomes our god, money becomes our god. Many of the commandments we end up breaking in this one area, robbing from God, stealing from him in the tithes and offerings. Very important. So a tithe is a 10%, one-tenth, again, the first 10% of all that we get. If we do it after the taxes, then who's most important? The government. If we pay our rent first or our mortgage first, then that's most important. God comes first. It's on the gross, 10% of all that he has blessed us with, 10%. So out of $1,000, that's $100. Which is more, $100 or $1,000? $1,000. God allows us to keep the majority, right? And so just $100 out of $1,000. Now, you may say, I don't have $1,000. Well, out of $100, it's $10. You may say, I don't have $100. Well, out of $10, it's $1. And if you don't have $10, out of $1, it's a dime. Right? If you don't have a dollar, out of a dime, it's a penny, right? Pretty simple. And I don't know anyone in the United States who doesn't have a dime. I've seen panhandlers that stand on the side of the road and getting dollar after dollar after dollar. Every dime of that dollar belongs to the Lord. I've seen homeless people go buy cigarettes with cash out of their pockets. 10% of that is the Lord's. Wherever they got it, however they got it, hopefully they got it honestly, belongs to the Lord. So wherever we get our money, whether it's through, uh, through pension or through salary or through uh, uh, Social Security benefit from money we put in or from a disability, wherever we get the funds, they come in and 10% of it belongs to the Lord on the increase. When Barbara and I were engaged and planning on getting married, we... Uh, Compared our notes, and by God's grace, we were giving the same amount of tithes and offerings, so that was easy. We were in harmony with that. And we decided, well, we should give on whatever, if we get any gifts for our wedding, we should return a tithe on that, tithe and offering on that. But how do you return a tithe on a, on a blender? Right? What do you take the cap and <laughs> give that to somebody? How do you return a tithe on a blender? So we figured, well, we'll just figure out how much the stuff is worth, and then we'll somehow have to come up with some cash and, and return to the Lord on, on the cash, on the gifts. Well, uh, we ended up receiving two blenders, uh, but, uh, but fortunately, uh, we also received enough cash to give us enough for the tithe to cover all the stuff as well. So on in any increase, whatever it is, find a dollar on the road, a dime of it belongs to the Lord. 10%, it's his. It's holy, it's dedicated to him, it's for his use. And it's pretty fair. He doesn't ask us to give off anything we don't have. If you actually have zero, because again, I know no one in the United States who has zero, but if you actually had zero, then you don't have to return anything to God. But as soon as you find a dime or find a, a dollar, then you only have to give a portion of what you got that you didn't have before, and now you got, so now you've got something to give. So if you got anything, a shirt on your back, you've got something to give to the Lord as he's increased us, as he's blessed us, as he's given to us, he only says, 10% of it is his. It's back to him. There's some places in this country that have higher taxes than that. And depending on your income rate, you might pay higher in taxes. And God is a whole lot more protective and a whole lot better and a whole lot more benevolent than any government, uh, local or national. And he just says, 10% is his, that goes back to him. And he pours out blessings on us, so much so that we cannot receive it. And he will rebuke the devourer for us if we just won't steal from him. Next is chapter 35, verse 29. It says, The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, and all the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all the kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. It's talking about the building of the sanctuary, and people brought a free will offering. So now we have the difference between the tithe. Again, the tithe is a set amount, 10%, first 10% of everything that comes into our possession. And the offering is a free will offering, someplace called a thank offering. 
That's different. There's nowhere in the scriptures that it mentions a specific amount on that. There's a place where it talks about a second tithe, which was like once every three years, once every five years, and that second tithe was to be used for the poor. Uh, but we're talking about free will offerings or offerings. doesn't give a set amount. So that's up to the person to decide. You know, and some people who give another 10% in offerings. Um, so whatever amount, that's up to you, between you and God, that God impresses you how much on the free will offering, and that's used, in this example, for the building of the temple, the building of the sanctuary. So the tithe, again, is for the upkeep of the ministers, the Levites in the ancient setting, and then free will offerings for the buildings, the synagogues, the, the roofs, the electricity, for printing stuff, uh, for all other kinds of work of the ministry. And there are tons and tons of stuff like that. And so uh, a ministry, there's lots of good ministries, maybe it's an orphanage or something like that, and that would be a free will offering type of thing. If they're preaching the gospel specifically, if that's their full intent, well then the tithe, but, um, but out of the, if it's just again a ministry, that's a helping ministry, then that's like a free will offering, from free will offerings. Two separate areas, two separate distinct things, used in different ways. Tie the first 10%, free will offering, the amount that you want over and above that. So if I lend you my ladder, you want to paint your house, and you ask if you can borrow my ladder, and I say okay, and you take the ladder, and you paint your house, and you never return my ladder to me. I remind you, and I ask you a couple times, and you never return it to me, what are you? A thief. You're a thief, right? You stole my ladder, right? You are a thief. You have robbed me of what is mine, right? Now, let's say I lend you my ladder, and let's say you return it to me, and you return it in basically the same shape. Maybe a, a spot of paint here or there, but, but for basically the same shape I gave it to you, you return it to me. Or let's say it breaks, and you give me the amount of money it would take to replace it. Anyway, you're, re you're returning it to me, in the same condition, uh, or equal value, and you return it to me. What are you? Someone say something? What are you? Have you returned it? What are you? Honest, right. You are honest, right? You're an honest steward, right? You're honest, right? That was the honest thing to do. You gave it back to me. Do you deserve any praise for that? Did you do anything wonderful? <laughs> Did you do anything great? Do I even have to thank you? No, you should be thanking me, right? You borrowed, gave it, I lent it to you, right? You're just returning it. You didn't do anything great, right? You're not being generous. You're just being honest. You're being faithful, being a good steward. You're returning it to me. It's mine and you gave it back to me. I let you use it for a few days or however long, you gave it back to me, and that's it. When we return the tithe, we haven't done anything great. <laughs> we don't deserve a pat on the back from God or anything. Again, we're not paying God, we're not giving to God, it's already His. He just let it pass through our hands. We're just being honest when we're returning the tithe. Now, I lent you my ladder, and you painted your house, and you give me back my ladder, but in addition to giving me back my ladder, you give me a nice fruit basket. What are you being now? What are you now? Generous? generous? Not really. If you give it to some poor person, whatever, someone you don't know, you know, then you're being generous, you're giving it to something. But here you're grateful. You're being grateful. You're being thankful. Yeah, you're showing thankfulness. Right? Yeah. So when we give the free will offering, the thank offering, over and above our tithe, we are now showing thankfulness to God. We're showing appreciation for what God has done for us, and the more appreciative we are, then the more we can give. Right? The bigger basket that you give, how much more you appreciate the gift that, uh, or the lending of the ladder that I gave to you. And so the tithe, again, is just honesty. We're not generous or really not even, uh, again, grateful or thankful until the free will offering over and above that. See the distinction? Two totally separate things. 
used for different purposes, and demonstrate two different attitudes towards God. Honesty and then thankfulness. I was working in a produce stand a number of years ago, a supermarket in the produce department, and uh, a truck came and unloaded a bunch of stuff onto our back pallet, the back uh, area, and uh, I was loading it in, bringing it inside, and putting it to the coolers and stuff like that. And I noticed this man out there, and he was wearing a much dirtier uh, parker than, than this picture, and it was zipped all the way up and just a fur there, and I couldn't see anything. Gloves on, I couldn't see his hands. I didn't know if it was a he or a she. Uh, I couldn't tell a race or nationality or anything. It was just a dark hole inside this, this parker. And I uh, invited him to come over, even when he came close, I couldn't see anything. And I gave him a bunch of bananas. What was I being? What was I? Compassionate. Compassionate? A thief. I was a thief. They were not my bananas. <laughs> I did, but I didn't pay for it. That was the thing. I just took him out of the box. And now I've paid for it since then. <laughs> the Holy Spirit convicted me on a Rosh Hashanah one time. And I sent uh, Wolfhounds with interest uh, a bunch of, uh, of money, a check. Uh, but at that point in time, I was a thief. And even later on that same day, my boss came to me. I guess he had seen me and he pulled me aside. And he said, I saw what you did. You know, it was a nice motive, nice idea and all like that. But it really wasn't right. Because again, it wasn't mine to give. Um, and you know, so, um, so when we take the tithe and use it to give to a homeless person or use it to go to, to give some ministry that we don't even necessarily know, it's not necessarily audited, we don't know anything about it, we just give it here or there or wherever, not into God's storehouse and not for God's purpose, might have good motives, might seem right, might seem nice, but we're robbing it from what he established it to do in his storehouse so there might be food in his house so that the Levites could continue to minister. And we saw Malachi parallels with Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah's time, the people withheld the tithe, and the Levites then had to go back and work on the field, and the work in the sanctuary was hindered, and thus the gospel was being hindered, and the people were not learning and not able to receive the forgiveness of sins through the sacrificial animals. And that's happening again today in this world. As God calls us to honesty. This whole thing is really about honesty. It's not even necessarily about generosity. It's about faithfulness for God. It's about trust. Whether or not God can trust us in heaven. Why did God put the tree in the garden? Was it for God's sake? Did he put it there for him? Why did he put the knowledge of tree of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? It was a test. It was a test of loyalty. It was a test of honesty. And so before he can allow us into heaven for eternity and let us eat from the tree of life, he offers this test on what we will do with it, on whether we will return it to him, whether we will give it to him, whether we will share it back with him or whether we will take it and use it however we think, whether for ourselves or again, just you know, staring at it, and being, well, I'm just being generous and just giving the money here or there without accounting, without knowing exactly how much, whether it's the first or last or after, whatever's left over, and just giving it here or there. Might be a good motive like me with the bananas, but it's still not right. It's not the right way. It's not how the Bible delineates it to be. And when we don't follow his plan, then we're stuck here on earth longer. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns the whole world. Not just the tithe is his, he says the whole world is mine. Everything is mine. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Psalm 50 verse 10, so lots of different places God says the whole is mine. I don't need, God doesn't need the tithe. It's not for him. He can send this gospel forward through angels. He doesn't need us. But giving the tithe, returning the tithe, is for our benefit. It's for our growth. It's for opening that door for receiving more of his love. It's removing the selfishness and the carnalness and the, the fear. It's opening up to trust. It's opening up to faith. Opening up to seeing God's work. It's believing his promises. We grow spiritually. 
And then the offerings, the demonstration of thankfulness. Again, God doesn't need any of it. It's not for him, it's for us. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was there for Adam and Eve, for their benefit. So they could rely on God and test God. Try God. Know God. And experience Him better. It's all for our benefit. Again, He doesn't need it. He's got enough. Continues on. Haggai 2, 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Everything. The animals, the world, the silver, the gold. It's all His. So 100% of what we have is his. You don't have a car, you don't have a house, you don't have clothes, you don't have anything. It's all his. He lets us use it. And out of the 100% that he lets us use, he says, 10% give back to me. I mean, that's pretty good. Right? If I lend you $100, you ask me for $100 and I give you $100, and the next day I call you back, you know, say, I have $100, I'll tell you what, just give me $10 back. That'd be pretty good, right? Would you be happy with that? Yeah, that'd be a good deal. That's what he's doing. He puts $100 in our hands, puts 100% in our hands, and he just says, just give me 10% back. You get to keep 90%. And if you want to give me some more of that 90% and use that uh, for, for my benefit, for, the, for helping someone else, hey, that's great too. Just give me back just a little bit, a little amount, because it's all his. When we understand it in that perspective, it's really not hard to give back what is his. We think it's ours, and I'm giving, and I'm paying, and I'm returning. It's his. Just being honest. God who made the world and everything in it gives us to all life, breath, all things. So the silver is his, the gold is his, the world is his, the trees are his, the forests are his, the animals are his, and you're his. He gives you breath. Gives you the ability to breathe. Try breathing without him for a while. See how that goes. I mean, it's amazing. We're sleeping, we're breathing. You're in a coma, you're breathing. Absolutely amazing how that works. He has given us the ability to breathe, to have life. Everything is his. We owe everything to him, and then certainly eternal life. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Again, whether you're standing on the roadside uh, collecting donations or whether you have a college degree or whether you um, uh, work real hard and, and got an apprenticeship and learned and you return to him, everything we have. Don't say, well, I earned it. He gave us the ability to get wealth. He gave us minds to think, to learn. He gave us hands to move and to, and to do. He gave us talents to be able to do. Amazing. People can take a piece of wood and do amazing things with it. I can't do anything with it. I, people have certain talents. People can take a paintbrush and a, and a canvas and do amazing things with it. Take an instrument and do amazing things with it. God gave them the ability. He didn't give that to everybody. Not everybody has. We all have different abilities. And God gives us the ability and God gives us the brain and the hands and the abilities to put it all together. He gives us the ability to get wealth. So again, he's the one who deserves it. The credit. It's all still his. And he lets us manage 90% of it. And he asks us to return 10%. Honor, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. So again, the first fruits, the first part. First, before everything else. And then another wonderful promise. You will increase your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow, pouring out. Like the Malachi promise, windows of heaven opened, pouring out a blessing so much so you can't receive it. Your vats overflowing with new wine. Beautiful imagery. We just return to him. He will give back more so than ever before. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Another wonderful promise. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I like the imagery in this one. Shaken together. If you've ever been bored while you're eating breakfast and you, you read the box and, and it says, uh, the contents of this box is by weight. 
And so while it might not be full, it's the same weight that it advertised, right? Because of shaking and shipping, it says, right? So shaken together. So God fills it up, and then he shakes it, and it levels out, and it's lower, and then presses it down, and squeezes it down there, and crushes it down. Now there's even more in there. And then he fills it up again, shakes it again, presses it down, fills it up again, all the way to the top, presses it down to all the way filled, and then he fills it, and it starts flowing over. That's what he does. More and more and more, he just stuffs it in there, so much so that we can't receive it. Wonderful promises, amazing promises. Do we believe his promises? That's what it comes down to, whether or not we believe. It says, believe and be saved. This is what it means. If we really believed, then just believe, believe Yeshua lived and died, but believe his word, and if we really believed, then we're stealing from him if we don't return. If we really believed he would pour out such a blessing, more than we could receive, poured out, overflowing, vats overflowing, shaken together, running over. If we really believed it, we'd be the first ones. We'd be doing that so earnestly if we really believed it. I'll get that return? By just giving this, I'll get so much return? If we really believed. It's a test of faith. It's a test of whether we believe or not. So return to him in faith. And he says, if you don't have enough faith, ask for me and I will give you faith. <laughs> he gives us all a measure of faith. He'll remove the fears, he'll remove the doubts, and he will give us faith to believe. And he'll pour out such a blessing on us. Not just us individually. The world will benefit. Souls will be saved. People will be in heaven as a result of God's work going forward. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. What does the Sabbath have to do with it? Well, really nothing, but <laughs> it's the same principle. Like God says, I give you the whole life, I give you a whole week, and just one-seventh is mine, set aside for holy use. And the same kind of principle with the tithe. So, Financial, a test, time-wise, test. Proverbs 22, verse 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So again, talent test. It's got to test us in these areas. Do we steal from him finances? Do we steal from him time? Do we steal from him in not using the gifts and abilities that he's given to him? Or do we serve him even in our whatever routine and whatever work we do as unto the Lord? Whether cleaning a house or working as a plumber or working as a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is, as doing it unto the Lord. In our time, our energies, our talents, our abilities and finances, everything unto him. So each area is a little test of loyalty and again, if we steal from him here, if we don't love him here, if we don't honor him here, we won't in heaven. Is now it's tested. Because Proverbs 27, 20, the grave and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. You say, well, when I have enough, then I will give. We will never have enough. There is never enough. Already everyone in America is richer than the vast majority of people in the world, and we still don't think we have enough. We'll never have enough. That's why he comes first. We put him first, test him first. Right? Elijah showed up at the widow's house, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm just collecting a couple sticks. I'm gonna make a little couple loaves, uh, little muffins for me and my son, and then we're gonna die. This is all we have. What did he say? Make me a muffin first. Make me a piece of bread first. Give to me first. She can say, what are you nuts? This is all I have. My kid comes first. She believed. She gave to him first. And then God poured out a blessing. And her vats and her oil and her flour never ran dry during the time. And the same will be with us. What do you think would happen if she said no? She would have had her last meal. God would provide some raven for Elijah. <laughs> we'll never have enough. Don't wait till you have enough. You'll never have enough. Again, if you don't have enough now, 
then it's not working what you're doing. So try God's way. <laughs> try it for six months, as he said. Try me in this. It's a whole lot better way. Put him first. Proverbs 13, 7, there is one who makes himself rich and yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. We put God first, benefit him, give to him. You can't outgive God. You know, people who who uh, given 25% of their income, not rich people. Some of them probably don't even have a income of the average in America. They're giving 25% back to the Lord, and the Lord blessed and benefit. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Be helped against us. Be judged regarding it. It'll all come to naught. Can't take it with us. We can store it up now. It's all going to burn. House is going to burn. Car is going to burn. It's all going to burn up in the fire. God's going to destroy it all. Silver and gold, it's all going to burn. If we hold on to it, greedily, we will burn up with it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in. It's all going to rot. It's all going to rust. It's all going to become garbage. Especially now, the way things they make things, right? They used to make, you could buy a rake or a hoe and it would last generations. Every generation or so, you just cut down another branch and make a new handle for it. <laughs> but they would last. Now they build things to deteriorate and break within, uh, within a few months on purpose. So it's all going to end up in the garbage anyway. How much better we put it, store up in heaven for eternity, what God has planned for us. Is that in Matthew 6, verse 19, then verse 20? But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. Again, God doesn't need the money. It's a heart issue. Where is our heart? That's why it's important. I would much rather have a congregation of all poor people under, you know, the average under poverty level, whatever, all of them faithfully returning tithes and offerings. I believe God would bless that much more than a congregation where you got one billionaire who's carrying the weight of everyone. Because it's about the heart. It's about the spirit. It's about the love for God. It's about the honesty with God. It's about the thankfulness towards God. It's about the returning to God. It's about the coming to Him. It's about the opening of the heart and receiving of His love. It's a very important issue. Again, as important as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. It's how important God makes this issue. We're robbing from him. We're taking from him. So where's our heart? You want to know where your heart is, and then sometimes we wonder, do I love God? Well, look in your checkbook. <laughs> look in your credit card bill. And I've known people, again, not much income, who the number one highest thing that they've given on a yearly basis, above mortgage, above rent, above any expense, would be to God's work. And even a rich billionaire, that's higher. They have to give that much more. So a billionaire gives, you know, a million dollars. Well, that's nothing. A billion is nothing out of a billion. That's not even 10%. Might sound like a lot, but it's not. God will do more with less if we're faithful. Gideon experience. He doesn't need multitudes. He just needs faithfulness, trust, honesty, a heart after him. And God's able to multiply it. Five loaves and fish, two little fish. The generosity, the honesty, the giving. God's able to multiply it. 
So he calls for each one of us to participate in it. So we can all be blessed and all grow together. So you say, well, if I was a rich man, then I would give more. I think for time I'll skip the song, but yeah. So you wonder, if I was a rich man, what would I give? Most likely, these people who run into money, lottery or whatever, lawsuit or inheritance, don't change their habits much, just bigger. And if we're not putting God first now, we probably wouldn't put him first when we're rich either. Now's the time. Now's the test. God has, like in that song, God has made me the way I am. And if God has made you the way you are now, it's to test you now. Return to him faithfully and then see what he does. See what it's like when he pours out his blessing so much more than you can receive, so much so that it's pouring out and running over. And maybe it'll be financially and maybe you'll have more. So then you can give more. But it starts with stepping out in faith. God didn't part the Red Sea till they put their foot in the water. Or maybe that was the Jordan River. Whatever. He invites us to step out in faith. Try him in this and see what he will do. Because again, how we live here is exactly how we would live in heaven. And God will not allow fear, selfishness, greed, unfaithfulness, dishonesty into heaven. He already had that and Lucifer had to leave. And we're stuck with the problem now here today. God's offers us wonderful promises. We'll trust him. We'll rebuke the devourer for you. Step out in faith. And so as we prepare to pray, if you've been returning faithfully, and I'm very thankful of a congregation of very faithful people. And so if you've been returning faithfully, but maybe, you know, maybe you're getting tired of returning faithfully, or maybe it's just now an autopilot. And it's no longer out of the heart. It's just, well, that's what you've been doing and it's in the budget and it just goes out and it's not even a choice anymore. And you've forgotten in a sense. You want to recommit and rededicate. Because again, it's not from us. It's not, well, I'm going to do this. I decide I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. It's not by self-will. By God empowering you to do it. God giving you his spirit. God removing out of us the fears, the selfishness, the carnalness, carnal nature, and him filling us with his Holy Spirit. And God's giving, God's a giver. God to love the world. He gave his only begotten son. God will fill us with his mind, with his spirit, and he will make us givers. He will make us honest. And so if you're doing it, but you're not happy doing it, well, then you're uh, not a cheerful giver. You're a grudging giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He tells us what he thinks about an uncheerful giver. <laughs> so you've been giving uncheerfully, but giving... Then in a moment, when we pray, you can surrender that to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I've been giving, but it hasn't been from right motives. It's been for selfish motives or out of habit, out of obligation, out of fear of the curse. I want right motives. I want to be honest. I want to love you. I want to return a faithful tithe. I want to give an offering as well. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we can pray, you can allow God to power you in that area. Or if you again been giving faithfully, it might be a good time to evaluate, God, am I giving the right amount? I'm giving the right tithe? I'm giving this percentage of offering or this much offering? Should I give more? Or how should I give as offering? And so in the moment we can pray, you can ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Or again, if you've been giving faithfully on both areas and clear that with God and he said it's still the same amount but you still want to be a cheerful and want to move forward in that, it's a recommitment to you and a reconfirmation, then that's great too. Fourth, if you haven't been given faithfully in either tithe or offerings and want to commit now to do so, then a moment when we pray, ask God to take away everything that's caused you to resist, everything that's keeping you from returning to him in this area. You know, whether it's fear, whether it's greed, whether it's selfishness, Whatever it is, whatever excuse is there, 
surrender it to the Lord and ask him to give you the ability to move forward and return to him wholeheartedly in this area of your life. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thank you for first coming to us. Thank you for your great love to us. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon us. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you for allowing this test to reveal to ourselves where we stand with you so that we can know where we are. We can really know where our heart is. Thank you for this opportunity. And so, Lord, bring conviction upon us, support your spirit upon us, draw us with your love, give us the gift of repentance, give us the ability to turn, remove out of us everything that's not of you, all the fears, all the anxieties, all the unknowns, all the lack of faith, all the lack of trust, all the selfishness, all the greed, all the self, all the self-will, all the independence, all control. We surrender it all to you and everything else that would keep us from giving to you. Open our hearts and our minds and give us the ability to return to you faithfully. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.